Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially my favorite people, registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Allison St. Germain, a registered dietitian working with the Iowa State Dietetic Internship and a dietitian who is very passionate about positive body image and intuitive eating. My conversation today with Allison reminded me of my own passion for working with and mentoring students and interns. A lot of my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, is perfect for the dietetic student and intern preparing for their own career. You can order my book off my website, annelizabethardy.com, or you can find it on iTunes and Amazon. All right, who out there eats popcorn as a snack like I do? Popcorn is one of those healthy, whole grain foods that are full of fiber and are very energy boosting, which I know we all need. My go-to popcorn is the delicious Jolly Time Popcorn. Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn is available in a variety of flavors with kettle corn being my absolute favorite. Go to jollytime.com for more information and money-saving coupons. Allison has had a very interesting start when she was deciding what to study in college. She started out wanting to be a lawyer and then dietetics kind of found her. She has worked in a variety of settings from long-term care, private practice, and now to her current role with a dietetic internship with Iowa State University. Along the way, she has found her passion for body kindness, intuitive eating, and volunteering with different student organizations. She's also raising two daughters of her own. Allison has a strong fire burning inside her for our profession, and I hope it fires up something inside of you. Please enjoy my conversation with Allison. But I appreciate you spending time with me today and just kind of sharing your story of how you got interested in being a dietitian Mm -hmm. and then kind of your path to where you are today and your passion and all that kind of stuff that we'll get into. Sure. So what, when did you kind of have the aha moment that you wanted to be a dietitian? Well, it's, this is actually a second career, I should say quote unquote career for me. Um, I started out in business and went to school for two years and um, it was at a junior college. And then um, my ultimate goal was to be a lawyer. So I, in the meantime, um, I worked as a legal secretary after I graduated with my associates in business, Uh worked as a legal secretary. The plan was to go back and get my paralegal and then go to law school. Well, I worked for a year at a law firm, and I was like, yeah, I this isn't my deal. I mean, I liked it, but it just I could just tell that I this isn't something I want to do the rest of my life. Did you get good exposure to, like, being a lawyer and all the things involved with that future career that you were looking at? Or Well, I, I did because there I was in a pretty big law firm, and okay. so um, I worked just for one attorney, but there were lots of different of ones in there. And sometimes if my attorney was gone, I would work, you know, for the other ones too. But um, And it just so happened that I got married, and we moved to Ames, Iowa, right after we got married. So where and were you from before? Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. And so at that time, I was looking, okay, well, now this is the perfect time to go back to school. And instead of, you know, moving somewhere and getting a, a job, I decided, okay, now, do I want to keep pursuing this, this law type of a deal or business? And I'm just like, that just 
didn't really seem right. So that's when I um, just really kind of thought about um, nursing for one, because I always was interested in health, especially diseases and that sort of thing. That didn't seem really right for me. And so um, this is kind of weird and random and almost embarrassing, but this is the truth. (laughs) I had the Iowa State um, catalog which they're probably not even in paper anymore. They're probably all online. Yeah, I, was I remember like, those. They were like yes, books. <laughs> yes. I was looking through it and looking for anything health-related, and I came upon dietetics. And I was like, hmm, I think I could do that. <laughs> I know. I'll just kind of sift in through a catalog. Yeah, huh. which it's kind of embarrassing because you think that, you know, sometimes people – they know from birth this is what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and it wasn't until I got into classes and um, especially the nutrition classes, I was just like, wow, this is just so interesting. And I liked the fact that I could um, be in a health-related field and not have to do the nursing type <laughs> kind of things. So Everybody always mentions that. They're like, I don't want to deal with blood yes. and urine and all that kind of stuff. So dietetics yes. tend, tended to be more it, of where people it grew did. that way. It did. However, when I was in grad school, I was dealing with blood and urine in the lab Oh, <laughs> um, when I got my master's degree. So I... <laughs> So you ended yeah. up there anyway. I ended up there anyway. <laughs> so you so you did your undergrad. Did you do it all at Iowa State then? I did. Okay. I took a year off in between because I worked for WIC, um, Mid-Iowa Community Action, actually. And WIC was part of it for a year. Okay. It was like my thing. I worked for a year before I went on <laughs> something new. Um, and, however, I have... Um, been a dietitian for 25 years I think so at least I mean it's not a, a year thing anymore sure, but sure. <laughs> so um and one of the professors had called me from Iowa State telling me about this really cool research project that I could work on and I'm like oh that sounds kind of fun and they're like oh and you can get your master's degree at the same time you just have to take some classes you know made it sound super easy well three years later <laughs> After being in the lab for a long, long time. But the really nice thing is I did a human study. And so um, I was exposed to such really, really great information and experiences. Um, I got to work right with human subjects. I got to work in the lab. And so Lots it was good. Yeah. Did, was being getting your master's always on your radar? Did you want no. to do that? No. <laughs> it was not even on my radar. <laughs> it just happened that you had a professor that thought of you for this uh-huh. particular. That's really awesome. Which, had I not done that, I wouldn't be at Iowa State now teaching. So it all kind of comes back full it circle. Does. Did yes. you ever, after you started your classes, did you ever waver after you started taking your dietetics classes? No. Like, I think I should go back to business or? Oh, never. No, never. Never, because the classes were so interesting and I absolutely loved it. That's awesome. How yeah. did you get interested in business from the get-go then? I think it was one of those things where it's like, I don't know what else I'm going to do sure. when I'm 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Let's pick business. Because <laughs> it's a good general kind of safe <laughs> Same yes. degree to kind of choose. So, yes. well, that's well. So, basically, I kind of feel like the stars were aligned for you with getting married and then moving here to Ames and then finding that Iowa State catalog and then taking a year off. Did you have to be a registered dietitian at the time to work at WIC? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you were already registered. You took your well, test. I wasn't all registered. They hired me right after graduation. Okay. But under the condition that I passed the exam, <laughs> and I'm 
no pressure there. <laughs> but that also was in the dark ages, and you took it on paper, and you didn't find out for six weeks. Oh. So I was sure I flunked. You and so for six weeks, I was like, oh, my gosh, I know I flunked, and then I won't have a job, but I passed. But you passed, yeah. and you worked, and then, <laughs> then you had So tell me about your master's study then. What did you study? Well, I looked at the effects of isoflavones on perimenopausal women. And I looked at their lumbar spine to see if there was any, um, you know, I, bone loss or bone gain, um, looking specifically at just isoflavones. And then mm -hmm. I also looked at their symptoms of hot flashes and that sort of thing. This was a long time ago. I had to really dig that information out. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. Because like, I graduated with my master's in 1999, so it's well, been a while. <laughs> you're still young, though. I know sometimes when you look back, you're like, I've been a dietitian for a long time. I'm like, wow. But that's cool that that long, back in the 90s, they were still looking mm -hmm. at, like, isoflavins and mm -hmm. menopause, and which is still mm -hmm. a very current topic now. Yes. Do you kind of keep, do you find yourself keeping up on the research of that? Um, a little bit. Um, I really got to be a soy lover after, um, after that, and also um, started drinking a lot more milk because I had to, um, I used the DEXA machine to analyze the lumbar spine of these women and seeing the bone densities. Because they're perimenopausal women, so they were, I can't remember the exact age of them, but ranging, you know, from 50, well, even some of were probably in their 40s to um, 60. And so um, I was, oh, my gosh. And so I actually really decided that I need to do everything I can to prevent <laughs> any that. further bone loss. So, so yeah. is there, so uh, your conclusion was isoflavins do help prevent bone loss? They did they in did. the lumbar spine, but that was just, it was a preliminary study. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's been other studies after that. So it didn't have an effect on the symptoms. Um, it was a flush, so to say, gotcha. <laughs> so to speak. For those people that know what that means in the, <laughs> in the study world of yes. nutrition. <laughs> but how cool to be part of something that you never would have done otherwise oh yeah and I still see some of my subjects around town do sometimes. you yeah yeah and um I don't really say anything because I you You're know just like hi yeah <laughs> if they want to say something some of them will remember me as the muffin lady because that's how we that was our vehicle to get the isoflavones into their bodies muffins? Was via muffins oh my gosh yeah. I, is there a study going on now? I'm I'm probably in that age group. I'd love to eat muffins. <laughs> huh, that's really cool. Did you have yeah. to make the muffins too? Yes. You did? Well, I didn't personally. Uh -huh. I was in on developing the recipe, but oh. yeah, we had undergraduates actually make the muffins. And there were three groups. So there was, you know, the control group, and then there was the group with just isoflavones, and then the whole, I can't remember now. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, there were three groups anyway. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I kind of felt sorry for the ones in the control group because... They didn't know. Yeah. They were just eating muffins. Yeah. <laughs> and these muffins, they were meal replacements because for the oh. amount of isoflavones that we had to get in there. A lot of yeah. calories. Yes. Yeah. They were like five to 600 calories. And so... Um, really had to coach on it, you know, being a meal replacement, you know, mm -hmm. maybe adding some fruit along with it. This is your meal. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So very cool. So after you got done with your um, master's degree, mm -hmm. what happened for you then? Well, then I had a baby my last year in my master's program. And so I decided that, well, 
she's a baby. I can just write my thesis and she, while she sleeps. Well, yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> um, so I was um, I <laughs> was writing my thesis, finishing up some, you know, little lab work and taking care of um, a newborn baby. And so by the time she was one, I officially graduated. But then so I started doing some PRN work at Mary Greeley did and then throughout the years basically I was a consultant for hmm 14 15 16 years something like that okay and I did my my big gig was the long-term care that's you know what paid the bills that was my main thing but then I always took on something that had a little bit of um I don't know more of my passion and that sort of thing with it um for instance I worked at a personal training studio and the funny thing about that is I, I, was, I was really excited because after working in long-term care and, you know, doing more of the, okay, what do you do with this after the fact that this disease started, I was like, oh, I can be more into preventative care and work with athletes and, you know, people that exercise. And then my very first client was somebody who had celiac and she was elderly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that this is what I've been doing for the past <laughs> so years. Like, oh, long-term yeah, care again. Yeah. <laughs> but it was okay. Um, it was really fun to work with athletes, um, especially um, I had some college age, I had some um, high school athletes, but most of my clientele w- were probably your middle-aged woman. Okay. And, which was great, which was fun. Mm-hmm. I wasn't middle-aged at the time, but I am now. <laughs> did you, and so that was, you kind of had, like, your own private practice then. So did you, yes. when you worked with the athletes, mm-hmm. did you go out and find your clients? Did they find you? No, I I used, well, since I contracted with the personal training studio, I got okay. the athletes there. However, okay. I did get some referrals from my personal PT, physical therapist person that would send people my way, okay. and then I would do those out of my home. And then I also... Um, so when I was at this personal training studio, I also started a little girl body positivity type group where they would come in and work with the personal trainer for 30 minutes. And it was very important to me that this was fun movement and not moving and exercising to lose weight or to change your body or anything like that. So the the full purpose of the workout was to come in there and move your body because bodies are supposed to move and just... Um, you know, having fun. And then I would take them for a half of an hour. We would make a snack and I would insert a lot of um, body image type discussions, show them videos on um, how magazines are altered, you know, and all of all of that mm-hmm. that we see in media and the mainstream. And so um, that was a lot of fun. And I how I got people for that was I had my girls do the class and then have them find friends. To gotcha. Do it. How old yes. were your girls then? Um, at the time, I want to say the oldest was 10. Um, so the youngest would have been seven. So good time to yeah. start talking to girls about. So, d- so where did your passion for body image and females and girls, where did that all start for you? Well, it all started personally for me. I struggled a lot as a teenager, um, young adult as well. And it was when I had kids that I was like, oh my gosh, I do not. And then I had two girls, of course, which I mean, this is an issue for boys as well. Sure. But it seems to be more prevalent in women. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? Two girls? How am I going to provide an environment for them to so they can grow up to love their bodies and to be healthy and happy 
little humans. Yeah. And so that's where it really started. And so I started doing a lot of things in their school. Just, um, it was very important to me that it was a non-diet approach and that um, people were being, you know, that everything that I talked about or I was telling them was very body positive and not to give the wrong message. That's awesome. And and it's more of a personal, it was more of a personal passion of mm-hmm. yours. Yes. And then I also, um, part of it too was Ellen Satter, when I worked at, I was really, I suppose I was exposed to Ellen Satter um, in school. I can't really remember, but I really got fascinated with Ellen Satter when I worked at WIC and started reading all of her books. And then from there, that's how I got into intuitive eating. And, um, and I'm trying to remember, it was maybe 2000 when intuitive eating, when the book came out, somewhere around there. And when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is very much the same principles as Ellen Satter has, you know, um, except with adults basically, or people who have dieted a lot or people who've had eating disorders. And so the whole mix of Ellen Satter and intuitive eating has just been life-changing for me. How can you can you talk about that for you? Like how it's been life changing? Because I know it's mm-hmm. so intuitive eating is such a huge thing right now too. Mm-hmm. I think, and there's so many different dietitians coming out with books and you know webinars mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about like what you think the most important thing is for dietitians to be aware of and to focus on, and why it's so important. Okay, well, from a personal standpoint, as I was going through um, my undergrad. I was taking away these messages. I don't know if they were necessarily given as I took them, because you know how you perceive things. But um, to me, there was a very right way to eat and a very wrong way to eat. And I very much heard good food, bad food. And so, um, and if you look, that obviously is not a good way to teach people. And it's ineffective. And there's, I mean, it turns out people will diet, they'll restrict, and then they go back to eating normally again and they gain you know back more weight and decrease their self-esteem even more and so I'm like there has to be another way and so um reading intuitive eating was life-changing for me because it took the worry away from eating it gave me peace with eating it allowed me to enjoy food again, which I hadn't enjoyed for such a long time mm-hmm. and just so on so many levels it um it, I'm a healthy eater, not because I just eat healthy, but because I have a healthy relationship with food. And so it's a way, but it's a long process. That's sure. the problem. <laughs> so the buy-in for people is very difficult um, for clients because everybody wants to lose weight, you know, in 30 days. They want that quick fix. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, when you tell somebody, oh, it's a year-long process or maybe more. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's a lifetime process Mm because I'm still learning things. And Mm -hmm. I've read the book several times and now the workbook has come out and I feel like the food and nutrition section in the workbook is even better because it puts, because in intuitive eating, that's the last chapter because you have to work through all of this other psychological Mm -hmm. um, aspects and, um, allow yourself to believe that foods emotionally are at the same level. You're not bad for eating, you know, a cupcake and that sort of thing. So 
after you get through all of that is when you then are open to reading about the gentle nutrition. Mm-hmm. But um, the workbook actually does a really good job of really tying that together better than the book even because it helps you learn that, you know, if I eat something, it like, let's say for me, if I ate ice cream, it would make my stomach hurt. I have some digestion issues with the lactose for one. And so, but I really, really like the taste of it. But over time, you just are like, you know what? It's going to satisfy my taste buds, but it's not going to satisfy my body. And that's just an example of how when you really pay attention to what's going in and how you feel, your body is going to eventually call for, quote unquote, healthy foods. But you still can have those treat foods, too. Mm -hmm. But you're going to enjoy all foods so much more if you really pay attention to how it feels in your body. And so um, getting people to understand that you're not going to crave sweets and and, foods. chips or whatever may be on those bad food lists, you're not going to crave those forever. Um, However, the other hard buy-in is that usually with intuitive eating, you will, when you're allowing yourself to eat and eat what you want, it usually goes overboard for a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. Until it comes back down to normal. And that's something that people are also not willing to work through because it's scary. And so... And they probably see some weight gain in that process and that that's scale just drives people up the walls. Yes. (laughs) So it's hard to get the buy-in, but the buy-in is that if you allow this process to happen, you have such peace and you love to eat and you also are able to maintain a healthy, I don't want to really use the word weight because that's just used so loosely, but your body is healthy because your body eventually comes to eat what it's supposed to because as a society we micromanage everything so much including mm-hmm. our food and including our exercise and everything is so external so this is more just taking a step back and looking internal of you know I'm going to eat because I'm hungry not because it's noon yeah and I'm not going because of the time and yeah. I'm supposed to or yeah. yeah and I think that you know going back to when you were teaching those classes so you're kind of applying all that probably even before you really realized it, just with your own children and their friends at the class. <laughs> I, I did, yes. And so my kids were actually my guinea pigs, really. <laughs> which um, my second one, what's funny, because I always say, you know, my first child, she was just like textbook material. Anything that, you know, because, you know, picky eating is normal with, oh, sure. with kids. And so I, I, oh, what would Ellen Satter do? And I did, I look, and this is what Ellen Satter would do, and perfect, it worked. Uh-huh. Now with my second one, so I had to tweak it a little bit, and which was good because um, it gave me then opportunity to help other parents too that don't have the textbook child. But you know, the same principles were there, but it just had to be tweaked a little bit in order to suit her individual needs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, and that's it's better to have that kind of a mindset because that would be like working with different clients too. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a variety yes. of clients, so you have to be open to meeting them where they're at mm-hmm. on their wellness journey. Yes, so they, you don't give them that textbook thing again. Yes, yeah. So you did a lot of um, during when your kids were littler, and you raised your girls, and you mm-hmm. got to have more of that kind of free time with your schedule with mm-hmm. consulting. Your current did that lead to your current position or what was there steps in between? Almost. There Almost. was one more step. Okay. <laughs> and that was I started teaching as an adjunct instructor at DMAC. I taught their um, beginning nutrition course, which is very similar to the one that we teach at Iowa State. And then which I had also 
I have to back up here because I've had so many <laughs> little jobs. I had also taught distance-wise for Iowa State in the past. Um, it was a medical nutrition therapy course, and I also taught right out of grad school their beginning nutrition course, which was similar to the one at DMAC. Okay. So, that in itself helped me get the job at DMAC. And then at DMAC, I also taught um, a sports nutrition course online. And so those two courses at DMAC, um, I feel helped prepare me to get the current role that I'm in as a dietetic internship instructor. How does how does someone become an adjunct instructor? Because, you know, I think a lot of times you see jobs and you're like, oh, well, I could teach a nutrition one-on-one mm-hmm. class. But I think there's a lot of different requirements. And I don't know. like Yeah, and it really depends on the college. Okay. The community college. So when I started at DMAC, the requirement was you needed to um, have a master's degree and you need to be an RD to teach the nutri- nutrition course. I'm not sure if that's the requirement anymore. Okay. Um, but in other... Um, colleges that might be different. That Because I know I saw one that didn't require you to have any master's, but you had to be a registered dietitian mm-hmm. for a certain amount of years, and you had to have experience in clinical, and it was much different requirements. Yeah, it is different. Yeah. And then at Iowa State, for the position I'm in, it was re- required to have a master's degree. Okay. As well. Do you like, did you like teaching? Did you yes. like that? Yeah. Was I that loved a fun it. Thing? And I've always liked teaching. And I guess that's part of being a dietitian. We're always teaching, sure. but just in a different manner. I did a lot of um, group presentations, which I love to do. And then um, with teaching at DMAC, um, that was it's a lot of work, though, because, I mean, it's a lot of prep work. Yeah, but. talk to me about the workload. Yeah. Because, you know, you think, one class, okay, yeah. I can handle this. But you have how many students? Yeah, I had, it was like 25 to 30 students. And so three tests a semester, presentations, well, what kind I of did, things? I did, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did presentations. I did group activities. I did um, exams. And so the first semester is always the hardest, but I thank goodness for Tanya Klein because she also teaches at DMAC, and so she shared things with me and helped me so I wasn't, like, completely on, completely on my own. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but then once you kind of get your feet wet a little bit, then you have different ideas for different assignments and different activities and all that sort of thing. But it wasn't until, because th- this is the funny thing, as a master's, student in dietetics you're not taught how to teach at all no huh i mean you're a ta for for a class but you don't have the theory behind it like you know the teachers get for um elementary and high school sure sure and so when i started at iowa state it's just i'm so fortunate to be able to take um you know i can do they have so many resources. I've taken different classes on how to teach and um, how different people learn. And so it's just been eye-opening. And so that's been really fun for me to get into the whole education aspect on how people learn and that sort of thing too. Do you probably recommend if someone's thinking about teaching to kind of maybe do some of those classes just because, again, like just requirements are having a master's and being an RD, but Mm -hmm. you don't know about the theory and the teaching right. and working with different learners. And I would have no clue. I'd just be like, okay, this is what we're doing today. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I've always thought that I've been good at teaching. But if I look back to the first thing I ever taught, I thought, oh, my gosh, those poor students. Because I feel like I've come <laughs> such a long way from just the different 
things, different classes in continuing ed mm-hmm. that I've taken. So, mm-hmm. but really, it's all, um, and I think it's taught now in the undergrad mostly is motivational interviewing and how to counsel with clients and that sort of thing. And so that really is very helpful in teaching as well. I would think, yeah, because you're kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're probing and mm-hmm. asking questions. And you and don't want to just give the answer and exactly. that sort of thing. So yeah. how's online teaching? It's, um, you know, the funny thing is I have never taken an online course. I haven't, I haven't either. So I'm always intrigued by yeah. that. So, but for the internship, it's, it's a little bit different than your normal thinking of an online course okay. because we really coordinate their assignments with what they're learning in their supervised practice. So like, let's say they're in the hospital and they're utilizing the nutrition care process when they're assessing patients and that sort of thing. But we want to make sure, because we were teaching them best practices, and we have them at different preceptors, and mm-hmm. not all facilities even use the nutrition care process still. And so we <laughs> want to make sure they, you know, they learn that properly. So we give them a worksheet that basically takes them through the assessment, um, the diagnoses, the monitoring, evaluation, everything in the nutrition care process. And it's, I think it's like 13 pages long. But that way we can see their line of thinking. And so then um, we'll give feedback on those worksheets, you know, according to what they've written down and help them dig deeper. And because, you know, a patient, as you know, doesn't come into the hospital with just one diagnosis. No. There's yes. so many. And so mm-hmm. it's very hard as a young intern. Well, they could be an old intern, too. But be, I, uh, mean, yeah. I mean, young in their internship. <laughs> yes. Um, it's overwhelming to figure out, well, what should I focus on? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's one of my main goals um, is to help them, you know, look at the big picture and what can they do. And also to make it client-centered because, and I can remember this as an intern too. I mean, you know, you're like, I know what the answer is. I have all this great information and this is what they need to do. Well, it, you know what? It doesn't work that way. Got to meet them where, where they're at. Exactly. Because it can look great on paper, but it might not be great for that client. So so anyway, back to my original um, what okay, your original question was, is our assignments all relate back to their supervised practice. So depending on where they are, our assignments relate to that. So it's not like they're sitting at a computer listening to a lecture or something like that. Okay. It's different. A little bit different yeah. in the internship setting versus maybe an actual undergrad setting. Yes. Okay. Because in the undergrad setting, there's more um, lecture type videos and that sort of thing. Okay. And there's a lot of different ways you can do online teaching. But so the interaction for us basically is feedback on their assignments and um, email, group conference calls, individual conference or individual calls and talking that way and working with the preceptors and the intern to kind of mesh their supervised practice into their grad credit that they're getting. That makes sense. And it has to be probably a little bit more specialized for that specific intern, what yes. they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, so let's go back for just a second. So you did some teaching, mm-hmm. and then, then you ended up doing your dietetic internship director role. Director or no? Oh, no, I'm not a director. Not a director. No, you aren't a director. <laughs> no, Jean I'm was a, our director. Jean was. Now she's not anymore, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the instructors. Instructors, um, okay. There's my actual title is clinician, but I have a title of practicum coordinator slash instructor, basically. So it's all a little bit confusing. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then we have a director over all of the instructors, which I I would have to count. I think we have five. 
Okay. Because we have a very large internship program, but because we have so many people, so many, we have instructors that take, you know, 20, 25 interns, kind of depends. And then we also have people, support staff that are doing like the agreements and paperwork and all of that. So that way the... Because I, oh my gosh, if I had to do all that, I don't think I would like my job because then it would take away from me, you know, working with the the intern. Yeah. Do you you have to help pick the interns? Is that part? Do you help the review process and application process? It's a big process because we can get 300 applicants and we might only have 50 spots open. Wow. So, And those applications are pretty involved to go through. Yeah. Crazy. It is... um, so competitive because um, there's so many really, really good students out there. They have high GPAs. They've had work experience. They have, um, they do things in their community. They have volunteer hours. Mm-hmm. They ha- have leadership experience. So it's really difficult. We turn away good applicants. But they keep applying, I'm sure. Yes, they'll apply again. <laughs> yes. Do, were you always kind of, uh, did, again, did you have being an instructor for a dietetic internship on your radar? Kind oh, of as a job? No. no. Is this one of those things that kind of happened for you again? Well, it just happened. And the fact that there's teaching involved was was good uh-huh. because I liked teaching at DMAC. But then the other thing that was really really cool that happened and it's just like everything kind of just fell into place again so um there's a student organization that just started on campus i think they're in their third year beta body image and eating disorder awareness they're a chapter of edci basically which is the eating disorder coalition of iowa and when i first started here i saw you know it was eating disorder awareness week and there was a mindful eating activity that i went to and i was like well this was really nice and it was really well done and i'm like who is this what is this beta group so i went up and i asked about it and um so then i'm like well i want to get involved with this so i just started showing up to their meetings i asked and they're like oh yeah you can help i would show up to their meetings i'd volunteer and help them with their events and that sort of thing and so i i Yes, I showed up so many times. They asked me to then be one of their faculty advisors because they already had a faculty advisor, which is Michelle Rowling, um, which she's a founding member of the Eating Disorder Coalition. She also is one of the um, counselors on campus here. So anyway, so she and I are co-advisors for that group, group, which has been just so much fun. And so that helps since my interns are distance that I actually have a strong connection with students on a daily basis. That's yeah, because you did mention that you do mostly distance yep. with your interns, so you only see them one time, one time a year, internship. and at Fancy sometimes. Oh, okay. When yeah. I when I go to Fancy, I always will you know put out an email saying, "Hey, I'm going to be at Fancy. Let me know if you're going to be there." And then I've met up with different interns, you know, out but for dinner can. at night. So that's been really fun. Have you enjoyed being an internship um, teacher? And I have. Yeah. I really like it. I like the fact that, well, I mean, it's fun working with um, with graduate students, mm-hmm. but I also like working with undergraduate students, too. It's a whole different perspective. And I also do um, advising for undergrads, so okay. I have... Um, I have a handful of interns, or not interns, I have a handful of undergrads there too. So I like being able, I mean, that's, I feel like that's kind of my niche is actually working with students. And so you have a, you have your hand in all different places Mm -hmm. of a dietetic 
like an RD to be basically of student Mm -hmm. intern and then even just people out on campus too Mm -hmm. which is nice so it probably gives you good variety it does I need variety because I um (laughs) I I've noticed that with myself otherwise I get bored so I am far from bored Far, from, I know she's got her hands in so many different things. I came and beginning just talking to you before we talked. You were talking about things that you're doing outside of your job, and then mm-hmm. also um, some of your volunteer positions that you do. But it doesn't seem like a lot until I start talking about it. I'm like, huh? No wonder I'm tired. <laughs> no wonder I'm tired. But I think it's your nature, probably too, because you do have such a passion for so many different things that you kind of have had these opportunities to be a part of them. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like work. It's just like, it's part of my life, basically. My work is my life, and my life is my work, which is a really cool thing. Which you're, And you're living out your passion, too, which is even better. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about um, your faculty advising for your group here. What kind of things sure. do you do with them? With the undergrads, yes, faculty advising? Yeah. Well, I get um, the junior and seniors, and so their plan is pretty well laid out already because in dietetics, you don't get a lot of electives, especially at that point. Their schedules are pretty much set out. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really that difficult to help them register for classes. Um, they might have different questions on, you know, if they want to do a minor or, you know, just, you know, things like that. And so my goal is to make sure I don't screw it up so they graduate. That was like my fear when I first started doing <laughs> they it. And graduate. Yes. I was like, oh, my gosh, if I'm responsible for them not graduating, yeah. I would feel awful. You feel bad about that. Yes. But there's... Um, Something that I just realized is helpful, too, is that, I mean, there's, there's um, students struggle. They're, um, they're stressed. Um, some of them have to work. They have to support themselves. And there's a lot of mental health issues that go on. And so I just took, just a few weeks ago, took this mental health training on campus that helps you um, um, see if there's any signs and symptoms of of students that are suicidal oh. and or have mental health issues. I was astounded at the the statistics on how, I mean, it's crazy and how many people struggle. And so I also um, feel like that way I can, you know, help them get the resources that they need since I work so closely with many people over at the Student Counseling Center. Because, mm-hmm. oh, oh I, for, I forgot, the body project just came to um, campus too. And I was trained as a um, facilitator for that, a faculty facilitator. And that is a really neat program that um, actual students will put on a two-day it's two days, but it's I think it's just a couple hours each time workshop for their peers. And it's not a nutrition program or anything. It's strictly about um, being comfortable in your body and talking about the issues of all the pressures. And it's it's focused towards women, though. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the pressures that women are put under to look a certain way and have the ideal-looking body and that sort of thing. And so that's been really, really fun, too. And that um, the person who oversees that is somebody in the Student Counseling Center. So through that, the Body Project, I've also met people, counselors over there, too. So it's really nice to be able to connect with them and have resources for for the students because I because I have such an interest in body image and eating disorders I'm always I 
I get a lot of referrals I to me. Yeah. Not necessarily to do, I'm not in a role of being an um, eating disorder dietitian, but I will help them find resources mm-hmm. to get where they need to go and that sort of thing. And if you have that mental, I always think that's an important part that we just don't get educated on in our undergrad, mm-hmm. that mental health component of yes. like helping counsel or just see signs or because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times we are therapists so I yes. think if you have that that component too that that's mm-hmm. a great that just sets you above for people feel comfortable coming to you I'm mm-hmm. sure to talk about those things and probably in dietetics I bet you there's a lot of students that struggle with oh, that there as well yeah it's just one of those professions that I mean it attracts people who are, you know, interested in food, you know, mm-hmm. and that comes along with eating disorders. So, yeah, it is a profession that does have a lot of eating disorders or disordered eating with it. Have you had to deal with some students with that? I have. Yeah. 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 Or I should say help students with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not um, only in dietetics, sure. in other in other areas as well. Sure. Other majors. I forget how stressful college <laughs> I know it is. I sometimes look back and I'm like gosh you know I probably was really a lot more stressed out than I really knew but mm-hmm. there's just so many more resources and education out there now mm-hmm. which I think is so good mm-hmm. and you're contributing to that which is amazing <laughs> I love that um anything else that I know that you've done some work outside of campus too mm-hmm. you've also been on tv and spreading <laughs> some great messages about a healthy body image Kind of talk to me about your experiences with that. I love being on the news. It's really fun. <laughs> I actually, I prefer having just, you know, a live interview versus, you know, um, having it taped and preparing food or something like mm-hmm. that. Because I just, I like to talk and I like to, I've spread um, the messages that I want to get across because I feel like, um, yeah, I have a bigger audience that way and then maybe, um more people will hear we'll me and start and start thinking about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a great outlet, and it, you probably never even had that on your radar. But then you no. figured out, hey, this is something like you said, I can reach a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. that I'll never meet probably in my lifetime. But not and, to be scared of it. Well, and the weird thing is, I used to be shy, and so. Um, <laughs> And I don't really get nervous. I get kind of like this heightened sense, like adrenaline, because it's kind of exciting. But yeah. I don't really get nervous anymore. I guess I did before, you know, the first couple times you do it. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, the more you do it, though, it's like, you know, because my very first class I taught at Iowa State after grad school, there were 350 students. And I was on stage and had a microphone. After that, <laughs> I pretty much was like, I can do, I anything, can do anything if I can do that. So... <laughs> Do you feel that dietitians need to have more of a media presence and be out there speaking Absolutely. about these kind of topics or anything nutrition yes. related? I do because so many people um, without a degree or without education are giving out nutrition information. And a lot of it is not factual. It could be based maybe on part science um but then it's like there's a new um i'm not even going to say the name of the it's a new netflix health scare type documentary (laughs) i think i may have heard of it yes (laughs) i actually just heard of it just the other day someone asked me about it was because there's something in there saying that eggs are as bad as smoking five cigarettes or something like that yes Uh and i was like what in the world (laughs) and so i mean unfortunately it's those sort of things that are 
that's false, of course, that people listen to sometimes and are like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's mm -hmm. just so frustrating. So I think um, since registered dietitians have so much background and so they take so many science classes, they mm -hmm. actually know the science behind what's going on. And um, we just need to really get out there and let people know that we are the nutrition expert. Absolutely. How do you think the outlook is for um, dietitian students when it comes to internships and our profession and where we're going in the future? Well, it's kind of um, a little bit scary right now just with, um, I think, because, you know, the education model is changing and what exactly does that look like? And there, the internships are very competitive. But if you really, really want to be a dietitian and you know that this is something you really want to do, I say go for it because you will succeed if you're, you really have a drive for it. And I hope it doesn't um, push people away from the profession, um, scare them away with the changes. I mean, because, you know, change is good. And so. And nutrition is always changing. Oh, so sure. that's, I think, the same thing. It's like yeah. our profession changes Nutrition changes mm -hmm. is just part of the deal. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> Do you have any one piece of advice for any intern applying for an internship? What would be your one, one ultimate piece of advice? Oh, my goodness. I have to choose <laughs> just one? I know. I know. There's so many, but like one that would just give them kind of a an edge over maybe someone else. Well, I, well, I can only speak for our internship just because I know what we look for. And... Um, sometimes, you know, you, maybe you had a bad first year in college and your GPA isn't, you know, as strong as it should be. But um, if you have good work experience, if you are out in the community volunteering and can show that you have a drive and that you're motivated, that's going to help help you succeed in an internship. And also, I mean... Don't give up. If you don't get an internship the first time, uh, what I recommend for people, because it happens to a lot of people, and that doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good dietitian. It's just so competitive. I recommend they go take the DTR exam and work as a diet tech, get some work experience, and apply again. That's good advice. That's what I tell people, too. Okay, good. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I just want to know for I'm expert. Yes, because <laughs> we've had great um, candidates that um, after they've, you know, applied again, got some work experience and have gone that route of being a diet tech, a registered diet tech, they did great in the internship and went on to be great dietitians. So um, failure, you you know, if you count that as failure, but any time, you know, something that doesn't work out, that's where you learn the most. I agree. And so um, instead of looking at it as a failure, looking at, okay, what can I learn for this, from this and what can I do? When you think about um, being a dietitian, since you know you're not a dietitian counseling patients, but you're mm -hmm. counseling a lot of students and mm -hmm. you're doing a lot of education, but you also do like volunteer work in mm -hmm. lots of different areas that you're passionate about. Why do you think that's important? Like, what does that do for you with you and being a dietitian in your profession? Well, there was a time when my kids were young that I didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of that. And so now that I have more time, my kids are older, I actually have made a point of um, doing a lot more volunteering with the Iowa Academy as well as the um, the big academy. And 
I have met so many amazing people, including you. Yes. <laughs> through this. <laughs> and so there's, I mean, great networking experience. I've met dietitians that do all types of different jobs. And so um, learning what they do and just learning from them has been amazing. But um, the ultimate is giving back to the profession, trying to push our profession forward and, you know, just showing people that this is what we have to offer and we can help you. So. And I think... I think too, as like I'm doing these podcasts, but we kind of talked about how, you know, you're into body image and that's kind of like your passion. And Mm -hmm. I think that as dietitians, we need to find some of those things that maybe aren't related to our job Mm -hmm. as a textbook job description, but to find those things that we enjoy Mm -hmm. and want to put some time into and educate ourselves and learn more. And there's so many great opportunities, just like you said, with the new workbook Mm -hmm. that you've been looking at, like those things are out there. We just have to find them Mm -hmm. and find the time. That's, I mean, that's the struggle Mm -hmm. is finding the time, but there's so many, I mean, there's just so much to learn and always to learn with continuing ed that it's just like an ongoing process can seem overwhelming, but Mm -hmm. it's just so beneficial. Do you, um, what do you kind of see yourself doing in the future, do you love what you're doing right now? Do you want to work more with body kindness and working with more students? Like, what kind of is the future for you looking like? You know, I've thought about this. I love what I do. But I can find passion in any job that I've had. What I mean, because when I worked at the nursing home, I found um, going into working in a nursing home for the first time was definitely not my passion. <laughs> and I, um, I did it as a way to... Um, still stay in the field and also still be home with my girls. But I ended up loving it because I was just the things I learned from the staff and also the residents um, was just so amazing. And I still miss, I still miss going into the nursing homes and doing that. Um, But I think about what I can see myself doing is (laughs) taking it national. I mean, I just, I would love to go out on the road and speak and, um, you know, be maybe I'll be start out, you know, being a keynote speaker somewhere or whatever. But I, I just I don't know. I feel like I want to be able to go out and spread this message to um, more than just Iowans. Mm-hmm. I could totally see you doing that. I think you'd be fantastic at it. And I think you'd be a great resource for other dietitians too, just mm-hmm. like with your knowledge of how you've collected and you know, education and your involvement in the different groups that you're in. I think you'd, I think you'd be great at it. I just have to figure out how to do it. <laughs> we just, just got to get you a driver and <laughs> or a private jet. and Let's just, do the private jet. I like we'll that idea. We'll zip you around. <laughs> well, if anyone's listening and looking for a speaker on this type of a subject, I will put her contact information because I think she'd be a great um, person to speak at a conference for those types of of topics and conversations Mm -hmm. because it is a good conversation piece Mm -hmm. for sure well I love I love your positivity and your messages of all the things that you do she also does you also work or do some work for ASEND as well yes yep and she's I mean she just is out there just doing some amazing (laughs) things so don't ever be scared to do some some things out there for other organizations or groups or people because it's awesome (laughs) Keeps your passion burning. So, yes, it does. How about some fun questions? <laughs> what is your favorite food? Oh, gosh. You know, I have more than one, but I love Mexican food. I could eat Mexican food every single day. Um, <laughs> chips and salsa, but I also like um, 
hot fudge and peanut butter sundaes. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. And remember, I'm lactose intolerant, so. <laughs> did you take a lot of enzymes before? I did. <laughs> I stopped at, we'll see if I'm really good about not having any other lactose that day. I can, do, can do it. Yep. I can do a smaller medium sundae and I can be fine. Yes. Yes. So you just have to Cause, pre-plan. Because well, there's not as so much lactose and ice cream. Now, if I were to drink a glass of milk, that would be another story. <laughs> we, would, we wouldn't see her for a few days, yes. maybe. <laughs> do you have, like, what kind of, do you have a favorite Mexican, part of Mexican food, just chips and salsa? Or do you have? I don't know. I just, probably chips and salsa, maybe yeah. nachos, just your regular old nachos with. Simple. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever make your own chips? I have. Yeah. Did they turn? Did they turn out? I, I tried to make them once, and they did not turn they're, out. They're not as good. Not I don't think. Same. Which is weird because usually things made from scratch is better. Yeah. But, no, I don't try to yeah. compete with the experts in that department. No, me either. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Well, it used to be Diet Coke. Sometimes Diet Mountain Dew, but my favorite favorite would be water. Because if I had to choose just one thing, I just, I mean, I'm always drinking water and Fairlife chocolate milk oh, mixed with white. I love that. Oh my gosh. I do the same thing. <laughs> I try to, that's like one message I spend. If you've never tried Fairlife yes. chocolate milk, it's still, it's I, so I good. drink more milk now because of that. Oh, and wine. I like wine. <laughs> Red, white. Both? Both. It Both. depends on the time of year. Yeah. Summer is white usually and red during the winter. I'm, yeah. Kind of like that too. <laughs> It's like that cozy red wine during yes. the winter. <laughs> What's your favorite smell? My favorite smell. Oh, this is the first thing that came to mind, and this is going to sound weird, but just go with me on this. <laughs> Gasoline. <laughs> and the reason for that is my dad, before he retired, was a mechanic for his oh. entire life. And it brings back memories of my dad and going to the gas station. Sure. And tire, rubber smell of tires, too, because I would go back into his shop area and had a bunch of tires, and they had a basketball hoop, and I would play basketball back there. So you associate that smell with that fun time that you yeah. had. Yeah. I, you know, I, I resonate with that, though. I know it sounds weird, but when you first say it, then yes. it makes sense. You have good <laughs> memories, or if that's yes. What brings you joy in life? My family, for sure. Um, my job. Um, just being a dietitian and being able to spread my message. My puppy, well, she's almost two. Her name is Biscuit. <laughs> she's absolutely adorable. I see lots of pictures yes. of her on Instagram. Doesn't she have her own Instagram account? She does. She does. What's the Instagram handle? For it's her? um, Biscuit the Morky, I think. I don't. <laughs> I don't run the account. My daughters do. Do they? <laughs> I will send them pictures sometimes that they will put on there. They'll put on there. Yeah, but she is just. Yeah, people say I'm obsessed with my dog, and I probably am, but she does bring me a lot of joy. But also, exercise brings me a lot of joy. I like to do um, I like to do relay um, runs, like market to market. I like to do half marathons. I think I like to do half marathons until I'm doing it. I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I <laughs> sign up for another one. I don't know. I kind of like I like the feeling of of you know finishing. I guess I'm pushing myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. So kind of outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but in, I just, I guess maybe I'm a little bit competitive. I don't know. But I also um, like the feeling that exercise gives me too, because it makes me feel energized and I don't know, joyful, happy, maybe happy. Yeah. Maybe a combination of both. Maybe yeah. joyful that you're done. But no, your body feels I happy. actually <laughs> like doing, I actually do like exercising. I, I mean, maybe I don't really like running half marathons while I'm doing it. But <laughs> There you go. But my actual exercise, exercise, I do enjoy it as I'm doing it. 
That's good. That's good. When you can say that you enjoy it and it makes your body happy. And it makes me feel strong and empowered. And that's what I also like to teach people that, you know, finding some type of exercise that you do that makes you feel that way because it's a good feeling. And then you'll keep doing it if you like that feeling. That's so true. Mm -hmm. That's And if you start doing things that you don't like, you're not going to stick with it. No. So do things that your body feels good from. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it won't feel good at the start, you know, until you start getting into it a little bit. <laughs> That's true. That's why I like to work out in the morning because I feel like I'm half asleep yet. Yes. So by the time I'm awake, then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. I missed like that first 10 minutes of. Well, you know, I've noticed because I've always been a morning exerciser, but as I've gotten older, I'm more stiff in the morning. Oh. And so I'm like, oh. <laughs> now when am I going to exercise? Because I, I can't exercise at night. I just can't. I'm just not a night exerciser. Just, so I'll it takes done. me a little bit. Yeah. You just have to. Like, rub the sleep out of your eyes and stretch a little bit beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for spending time today. And we will probably catch up again in five years and see where you're at. (laughs) Hopefully, maybe before then. You never know. But, but yeah, I think there's a lot of cool things on the horizon for you. So, thanks so much. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. This is fun. It is always great to spend time with Allison. I get to see her a few times during the year with the Iowa Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Board and Council meetings, and she is just as passionate during our meetings as she was today in our conversation. Allison puts her whole heart and soul into everything she does. Just like she said today, my work is my life and my life is my work, which I absolutely love that and believe that about her. I love Dalman Stroopwafels because they are baked with care using only natural ingredients that are absolutely delicious and contain no artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, or trans fats. Find them on Facebook at Dalman's Stroopwafels US and on Twitter at Dalman's US. My website, annelizabethardy.com, is where you can catch up on my weekly wisdom blog. I share my current adventures with life, food, workout music, a recipe or two, or something new that I love. My book is also available for purchase, and you can find all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to things we talked about during my conversations with these amazing people. Please connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.